Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your buddy Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. My favorite day where I get to record a couple of these intros. And today's episode, I promise, is a doozy. It features one of my favorite thinkers. She's an amazing human. Her name is Gretchen Rubin. Uh, this uh, combo today, this episode, is part of Creative Lives Between the Lines interview series where the awesome Kelly Corrigan interviews legendary authors that we've had on the platform, specifically with the goal of hearing the stories behind the stories and tapping into authors. Obviously, they are a shepherd of an amazing amount of information in our culture where we hear from authors around their wealth of knowledge and experience specifically with the goal giving you insights. So completely in line with the show, this has been going on for, uh, we've got, gosh, a number of these. And I have realized from your feedback, your input, that you clearly want to hear more from authors. So as I mentioned in the first line of this show, Gretchen is one of my favorite authors, deeply insightful and doggedly practical. She has a huge following, huge readership, and for good reason, because she has been, she's made a career of, uh, of breaking paradigms with her observations around knowing yourself in advance of just running around chasing uh, what could be called um, performance enhancing or self-care or self-improvement. Um, and after all, you know, she's a big habit person and habits these are the invisible architecture of a happy life. Uh, so if we know ourselves, we can be more attuned to the best habits that will help us become the humans that we desire to be. Um, she's got numerous New York Times bestsellers, uh, including The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happiness, or sorry, Happier at Home. Um, She's been featured in Fast Company, you know, one of the most creative people in business. She's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100. She's got an insanely popular podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Um, and this episode today, uh, I mentioned that book um, around the four tendencies. Well, there's a really cool thing that she talks about in this conversation that I want to highlight here, this four tendencies quiz that I find fascinating. Uh, it it helps us understand a little bit more about ourselves. Are we an upholder? Are we a questioner? Are we a rebel or an obliger? Uh, if you consider that a little bit of a hint, um, maybe thinking about what category you may fit or what tendency rather you might fit into. Um, this is an awesome episode that helps evoke a little bit more self-awareness, which we could all use a healthy dose of. Uh, we also cover a handful of things in this episode, how to battle procrastination, why writing about goofy or embarrassing things, uh, can be a great way to connect with other people, to show a vulnerability. And specifically, since so many of you are writers aware of writing or know that authors are, are game changers, I think specifically how the role of writers is shifting. Um, it's a fascinating episode, again, conversation between uh, Kelly Corgan and one of my fave humans, Gretchen Rubin. So I will get out of the way and let you get on to the show. Enjoy it. I can't wait to hear what you think on the socials. Uh, I've got my ears, ears out, so let me know what you think. Enjoy the show. Hey, before we get into the show, I've got a quick announcement. My best-selling book, Creative Calling, is now more than 18 months old. It's crazy to think that. 
thanks specifically to support from you, this community. The book has been shared and gifted and highlighted and has been published in, in all kinds of different languages around the world. I want to thank you for applying these concepts in the book to your life, for sharing the stories, all of your career changes, failures, and successes on the path to designing and living your best life. So if you don't have the book, I have to encourage you to get a copy. Again, it's called Creative Calling. It's available anywhere books are sold. And I've put my entire heart and soul, all of my experience around creativity, around entrepreneurship, pursuing your dreams, getting unstuck, experiences from my own life and the lives of dozens of the top creators and entrepreneurs that I know that I, I call my dear, dear friends. It's all in this book. So if you don't have a copy, I would love it if you would pick one up. And part two, if you do have a copy and right now you're going, yeah, Chase, check that box. I already got it when you first, when it first came out, I'm one of the early adopters. Again, I want to say thank you. And it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review at Amazon or wherever you picked up the book. By writing a review, you are actively contributing, not just to the success of the book, you're exposing your community to the lessons and tactics, the experiences that I aggregated together in Creative Calling. And I believe that you will be directly inspiring your peers to live their best life in support of their career, hobby, and dreams. Now, in the meantime, I'm gonna get out of the way and let you get back to the show. But again, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I look forward to you hearing more about your experience with Creative Calling. But now, let's get into the show. Awesome to see you again. It's so Always fun. Love Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, so this is a whole conversation that we're having with people about storytelling and, yeah. and how we do it and why we do it. And I think if people looked at your three books, they would not automatically, immediately recognize that you are a storyteller. Mm -hmm. But you have made this kind of meta choice that rather than write kind of a traditional how-to book, mm -hmm. you are using story to get people to think about themselves, their happiness, their habits in a different way. Yeah. So can you talk about that choice that you made? Do you yeah. even recall wanting it to be like that? Well, what really led me into that choice was the observation that whenever, like when you're talking about what, like how to, or you know, self-improvement kind of things, it's very easy to slip into you. You should do this, you should do that. And that starts feeling very preachy. And it's also very easy. It's really easy for me to tell you what to do, right? right? Everything's easy when it's what you're gonna do. Right, right, and I realized right. what's hard is like, well, what am I gonna do? And what's true about me? And so I started thinking like, well, I could get out of this problem of you if I talked about myself. And what I also found is that it's just a quirk of human nature. It's the why stories are so powerful is that we identify with someone else's idiosyncratic particular story in a way that we don't identify with a huge study that covers a large population or you know, a philosophical treatise that talks about all of human nature. Somehow it's easier to learn from one person's specific experience. And even if that person is very different from you to sort of put yourself into that, per like learn from that person's story, it's easier than trying to put yourself into some kind of abstract um, articulation of an idea. And so somebody, a friend of mine said, like one of the nicest things anybody has ever said about my book she said of The Happiness Project, I've never read a book that made me think more about myself. And I was like, well, that's exactly the point. Because my happiness project isn't really important. It's just important as an example to get someone to have more insight into themselves. 
So this goes to that research, which you, you, I'm sure you've seen it, where if you're, say, a fundraiser oh, or yes. advocating or whatever. The one child. And you say, these 12 children yeah. have this problem. You get this result. Yes. And you say this one child named Jim, yes. whose mother's name is Tana, yeah, yes. and he lives in this town, and this is his face. You get 40x yes. the outcome. Yes, it's the, I think it's just like the concrete nature of our imaginations that we can really, we can put ourselves into the place of one other person or imagine that person's challenges and sufferings. But when it's a bunch of people, it just starts to become very hard to like think about the implications of it. Yeah. And I think also with things like happiness and good habits, one of the things I found is like, in a way we're more like other people than we expect, and in another way we're less like other people than what we expect. And so by talking about myself and even silly things like, um, I'm an abstainer. It's much easier for me to give up something altogether than to have a little bit of something. I can have no chocolate, but if I have one bite of that chocolate bar, I gotta eat the whole chocolate bar. Well, some people are exactly like me, and they're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. And then some people are like, that's completely not like me. I am the person that has the one square of fine chocolate every other day, and that's all I need. So I'm different from you. But it's like once I say, well, what I am, then what you are, becomes clearer. But yes. I'm just saying, like, some people are abstainers and some people are moderators. It's like, huh, I don't really know what that means yeah, I can't exactly. Really, and also, yeah. I can't really feel it. I yeah, mean, yeah. We're, we're designed in yes. our animal parts of ourselves yes. to empathize. Yes. Um, but it, it has to be sort of a particular story. Like, the more generalized it gets, yeah. just, it's just harder to hold. It's harder to feel. And it also, you're so smart because... You, because you're so forthcoming and because you're so grounded in story, you're never off-putting. Well, that's nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, be, because it, it, you're incredibly empathetic with your reader, mm -hmm. which is to say, I don't know. I don't know the answers. Like this, I'm just telling yes. you, this is how I do it, and this is what right. I get stuck on every right. day, and this is precisely how I get stuck. Right. And the more that I can lure you into my tiny anecdote, mm -hmm. I feel like your defense, the, the reader's defenses go down. Whereas if you said to me, Kelly, I'm going to tell you a few things about you, you and yeah. your habits. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm, I'm, yes. I'm in this position. Right. If you or start I might to start feeling guilty or I might feel like I don't want to think about it, so I'm going to shut the book and put it aside. Or I want to say, but, 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 yeah. but, 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 but. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this, when you start telling someone a story, you can just see. I mean, if you ever do story time with kids. Yes. The first they sit like this and then they start. Yeah. And then they fall and then they're leaning on each other. And then, yeah. I mean, it is this like incredibly potent, you know, like swinging of the watch of, I don't know if you've experienced this too, because I'm sure you read a lot of nonfiction, is I think sometimes because people do know the power of stories, they think like, well, if I tell, I have, I want to talk about this like nonfiction idea. And so I'm going to tell you a little story of like, I was walking down the hallway between, behind Dr. So-and-so and I could hear his, you know, they think like I'm going to put it into like once upon a time something happened. That's going to make a compelling, that's going to make my information more compelling. I'm like, nobody cares about the doctor walking down the hall. There has to be a point to it. Like, why are you telling me this story? Yes, well, I mean, false story, yeah. phony story, story as lure. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of political campaigns. Uh, yes. Where they're like, you know, I was in Iowa yes, and I right. was talking to the Jane missus, at yeah. a diner. And yes, it's yes. like, oh, somebody wrote that yes, for you. Exactly. You didn't talk to Jane at the exactly. diner. <laughs> yeah, because it's so convenient that she says exactly what you want her to say. Yeah. 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 And the other thing that's kind of funny about your challenge, your work that you've set out for yourself, is that you're the protagonist. I mean, you're yes. a character. Yes. So do you ever yes. feel pressure to be, I don't know, extra relatable or extra likable uh. or like, or to <laughs> not reveal uh. some 
habit of yours that is just so embarrassing? Well, I've learned over time that when you, when you reveal like the most embarrassing things, that's often when you get the best response. Like one of the things I felt really embarrassed about saying, so now I've totally quit sugar because I learned from writing my books that I do better when I just give it up altogether. But before I quit sugar, I had a huge uh, sweet tooth. And one thing I would do is I would sometimes eat brown sugar right out of the jar. Shut up. You love that. <laughs> uh, the consistency, the texture, everything about it. Did you pack it before yeah, you yes. ate it? Oh, uh, right. Like, so that it dissolves? Sometimes it. it's crumbly. Sometimes it's packed. It's delicious. Um, and I just <laughs> felt like that's ridiculous. Um, but I said it, and people are like, you know what? We've all done it. Yeah. We've all done something like that. Or I wrote, and this happened recently. I wrote, I'm an underbuyer, which means I, I really hate to buy things. And one of the things that's often true of underbuyers is they won't, they don't like to buy things that are too specific. Like they don't, they're like, why should I buy a product, like a suit bag, it's yes. too specific. Yes. So I wrote about how I refused to buy Kleenex for many years, like facial tissue. Uh -huh. Just like, use toilet paper. Just use toilet paper, yeah, right? I'm like, an why, are you gonna, why are you going to get a specialty product for that? And like my editor was like, this is weird. And I'm like, I bet it's not. I bet it's not. I bet we're going to find out. Yes. That just, you know, a lot of people are like, use the toilet paper. Right. So, so sometimes it's very reassuring. And this is an experience that many people have had, is that when you tell something that you think is kind of an embarrassing or even shameful secret, often you're reassured when you realize it's something that many people respond to. But the larger question of like thinking about myself as a character, it is, it is funny because I want to be truthful and authentic, but then I also have to think about the reader's experience. So I will, I, I, it's not so much myself as being likable, but more like, does there need to be a moment of levity here? Or have I been, am I getting boring because I'm just like walk, wandering off into my own associations too much? Mm -hmm. I need to bring it back to, um, I just have to think about the, writing, the writerliness of it and what the book needs at that moment. Why do you think you're good at telling stories? Do you know? Do you like? Is it something? Is, do you have an ear for it? And then you're imitating, or is it something that springs from you naturally? Or I have no idea. I can't write fiction at all. I've written three terrible novels. I mean, and people are like, I bet they're not as bad as you think. And I'm like, oh, I oh, think they're, they're way worse than I think. Really? Oh yeah. I do. Yeah. My sister. Have you a, shown them to anyone? No. My oh, sister's come a, no. On. My sister's a TV writer, and like I realized that skill of writing fiction. But there's also the storytelling of like somebody saying like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what happened to me at you know right. the grocery store today, uh, and some people are just you know like tell that kind of story. So that's the kind of story I like, which is which is like the everyday story or you know telling yeah. your own experience. Yeah. So we are both writing nonfiction, yes. and we both have stories that involve other people often. Yes. And How do you deal with those limitations and keeping honoring people's need for privacy or or their very different, distinct memory of the event? that differs from yours? Very rarely have I run into an occasion where I felt a question about whether something would be acceptable to somebody else. Um, one was my, my husband has had hepatitis C and he has been miraculously cured. Like medical science came in and like cured him is like the most amazing thing that ever happened. But for, but, he, but for years, since he was eight years old, he had hepatitis C. And so I felt like I had to ask him if I could talk about that because that's like his, that's, that's his condition, that's for him to just, you know, I don't know how, you know, what, what yeah. he would say. And he was like, sure, write about it, I don't care. Yeah. So it was fine, but I felt like I had to ask him. And with my children, I feel like, well, they, they have their own privacy, they have their own, you know, like I don't want to overexpose them in a way they would feel uncomfortable with. Right. But I don't really write about them in a way that they, would that they do feel uncomfortable. So I don't really come up against that very much, but I never would write something where, right. you know, it, it, it could make them feel exposed. I find it so funny what people are yes. comfortable with. Like, I often find that it's difficult to predict. Yes. So I'll tell what I think out. is such a funny story and kind of innocent, and they'll say, I don't yeah. want that. 
Right. And then I'll tell something that's much deeper, mm-hmm. and then I say, oh, that didn't bother me at all. I mean, I told the story about my mom slapping me across the face so hard that my nose bled. Yeah. When I was caught shoplifting. Yeah. And I, as I was writing it, I thought, there's no way she's going to let me leave this in. Yeah. But I'm just going to honor yeah. the story yeah. and then get edited later. Yeah. And she said, oh, I thought it was very good. And I said, even the child so abuse stood, part? She, yeah. <laughs> and she said, absolutely. I think, like, mothers are too timid these days. And I was like, okay, so well, we're going to start by, a new movement. She stood by. Well, it's funny because the writer, A.J. Jacobs, who does a lot yeah, of... I was lot, just with him last night. Oh, yeah, oh. we got the most hilarious guy. But he said that, because he's written um, some things that were critical of family members in some of his books, which are very fun, funny memoirs, and he's definitely a character in his books. Um, he said that he's found if you include a detail about something that suggests that a person's good looking, they will forgive almost anything. <laughs> like his full head of hair, or he's lean, or like her striking shoulders. Yeah, 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 or her, you know, her striking gaze or something. He's like, that's all, like that you can get away with anything after that. So that I is, thought that was really funny. That is a phenomenal tip. That's the best tip you're going to yes, get yes. today. So put that in. <laughs> um, in terms of your work, how distracting is? I mean, I find I, I often people ask about writing my process, and the first book is so different than any future book. Mm. Because the first book, you're just somebody who's writing a book. Yes. And every future book, you're also a person who has written a book. And yes. there are things that go along with that, mm-hmm. uh, that buy for your time. Mm-hmm. Yes. How, how have you found a way to compartmentalize your life that allows you to keep doing the writing? Well, it's funny that you say that because I would say the biggest distraction from writing, like when I started writing, it was before all the social media and everything had started. Yeah. So you basically, if you're a writer, your job was to write, which was to write. And maybe people did freelance or taught or something on the side. But now being a writer itself has all these responsibilities in addition to writing a book. Mm-hmm. And to me, those are really important. And they're also really valuable. I get enormous amount of ideas for my writing from what people tell me, their questions mm-hmm. and their responses. So I, I really value it, but it's definitely not the same. Like, I go to a library that's a, a block from my house with my laptop and no internet when I want to actually write, like, a book where it's a serious... It's not just a blog post, which I can sit down and do in a half an hour or something, but where I really want to work for, like, three hours. So then I leave my house and go and work there because mm-hmm. I feel like I, it's sort of like the, the physical change puts me into that mode. And getting I have three monitors with, like, everything going... And getting away from those monitors helps me to just like focus in on whatever I'm doing on, yeah. for a big project, for a book project. Yeah, I, I leaving the house and changing clothes and driving somewhere and parking, like all that, I feel like you probably know specifically what's happening at an intellectual yeah. level, but it's like these layers of commitment. Yeah. Like just yeah. putting on a bra, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. we're working now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Apparently yeah, we're yeah, out yeah, of our pajamas. Right. Well, I can and wear my pajamas to this library, so the clothes part of it for me. <laughs> but, but, it, but it is, it's just even leaving your house. It's just like yeah. I'm now going, or when you're going to come back. Part of it is like, well, I'm going to be here for three hours, so I might as well work because otherwise I'm just going to be sitting here, you know, yes, bored. Yes, right, and that's yeah. like a moment of commitment. Yeah. And, and for me, being in a library is always, like, my whole life, like, because I went to law school and, you know, I was an under, and an undergrad, I would always go to a library to work. I find that to be the most conducive. I just f- find that environment to be, like, so energizing but also calming. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, I can take a break by getting up and, like, looking for a book. And it doesn't take very long, but it feels like a little treat. So I always, I'm, I love to go to a library specifically. Yeah. What, what? Is your craziest thing you can imagine doing creatively or storytelling-wise? Well, one of the things I did uh, just fairly recently was to start a podcast with my sister. So we have the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. And that felt really different because 
you know, it's not written, it's spoken, it's not just me, it's in collaboration with my sister, which, you know, was fan is like the most fun ever. Um, it's a different way of telling a story because you're, te you know, it's in conversation and it's not, we don't, you know, for some podcasts, they, they really script it out and we don't, we know what we're going to talk about, but it's very spontaneous how we tell a story. And so that was a big shift. It's a, it's a different way of communicating. And, and I'm not a real performer like that. Like I like to give talks and things, but this is a different kind of performance. So that was, that was, that was good. I don't know that I have anything right now that I'm dying to do. I have so much that I want to do that's like the stuff that I already do. I can't, I, yeah. Like you're still deeply animated by this single issue of like habits and happiness. And yeah. That, so, that well, intersection. I would say human nature is really my subject. Like of uh -huh. all my books, like this, my book that's coming out in September, The Four Tendencies, is I think it's going to be my eighth or ninth book. And they can look very different from each other. But to me, they're all about human nature. What, what are people like? Why do they do what they do? How do you change? How do I change? And are you... Has all this investigation and all your street science and all your storytelling and sharing stories and yeah. receiving them, has it made you more optimistic or less optimistic about our ability to change? Much more optimistic. Because what I think is that it's actually not as hard, not, not to change your fundamental nature. I think, you're still, I think I'm still Gretchen, but can I have a life that's different from the life I have now? Can I, can I, bring, can I achieve my aims? I'm more optimistic because I think that it's not as hard as you think when you do it in the way that's right for you. And I think a lot of people, certainly I did this um, until I like, wrote books about it, you think, well, th what's the one best way? I'll just do the best way. I just figure out the best way. Or this worked for Steve Jobs, or this worked for Kelly. I'll do that. It's like, well, maybe it will work for you, but maybe not, because maybe in some way you're very different from each other. And yeah. so what worked for this person might actually be counterproductive for you. Right. And so I really think that like, when you really take the time to think about yourself and what kind of person you are, a lot of times you can tweak circumstances to dramatically improve your chances for success. Right, and I think that's a really interesting thought for people who are listening and thinking about their own creative opportunities and ambitions. Yes to realize that it's not a bad place to start mm -hmm. to evaluate yourself as yes. a worker yes, and what your yes. tendencies are. Yes. And like a little self-knowledge goes a long way. Yes. And I would say to people, um, one thing that I hear all the time and it has a very easy solution once you know what the solution is, if you are a person who says, I can always take time for other people, but I can't take time for myself. I'm frustrated because I'm never late with a work deadline. So why is it that I can't write my novel in my free time, or I haven't been able to like start that side business that I really want to do, or this project's really important to me, so I don't understand why I'm not able to move forward with it. The answer, the solution, is outer accountability. What you need is some form of outer accountability. So you need to work with a partner or join a group, or hire a coach, or okay, let's say you want to write a novel in your free time, you tell your kids, you've got your homework, I've got my homework. You're, I'm gonna be writing my novel when you're doing your homework. If I'm not writing my novel, guess what? You don't have to do your homework. Right. And that kid is gonna be following you around the house, being like, hey mom, <laughs> why don't you take a day off? Right, it's you a know? swear jar. Do, yeah, you're right, and, um, and so there's all different ways that you can set up accountability mechanisms, but for a lot of people, they don't realize that that's the crucial thing that they need. Yeah. But then when they look back on the pattern of their life, when did they exercise? When did they get something done? When did they eat right? right. You know, it's all about outer accountability. So, and this is something that people seem so frustrated by, but there's an easy fix. So yeah. if that's a person's, a lot of times with creativity, we have a lot of uh, explanations for why we're not doing something. Whereas to me, I'm like, yeah, no, you can just ignore all that. It's about outer accountability. Yeah. 
Well, right, which starts with even admitting that you want to do this thing. Well, that's and especially a huge with like step. being a writer. Yes, I mean, I felt like I was coming out of the closet saying I wanted to do this because I yes. felt like the natural reaction would be like, well, who do you think you are? Yeah, like, what do you think like you can do this thing? And yeah. I, I felt like I was saying like I want to win an Oscar or something. Yeah. Like it seemed yeah. absurd and yes. wildly conceited. That's why I felt so comforted when I got an agent. Because I felt like an agent made me a professional, even if I hadn't sold a book, because it was somebody like banking on me, right. essentially. Time and, but is, it's validation. Yes. Well, and it, it's too. just like it's like someone saying, you know, like, yes, I think that you can write and sell a book. I know. So that felt professional. That felt like that's when I felt like I crossed over from being just one of a million people who's like writing a screenplay right. in a coffee shop. Right. Um, yeah, because it is. It does feel like a big thing to admit to yourself. What are you people. What are you working on creatively? Like, when, what What are you really trying to get better at as you write? I think what I'm really interested in is how do you take a very large subject, like a subject like habit formation or Winston Churchill's life or happiness. How do you, like, I like to try to figure out, get my arms around this large subject, and then figure out, like, well, then how do you distill it down into its essence? And then how do you explain it to people in a way that they can hear it and listen to it and be interested in it? And um, it's such an incredibly tall order, isn't it? But I it, mean, the way yeah. you just laid that but out it, to just me, shows it's you like, what it's a miracle a great book is. It, it's so yes, and it's and it's so fun. And um, so that's what's interesting to me is like how do you how do you back to your point about storytelling? One of the ways to make somebody interested in something or to like sort of pay attention to something or for something to penetrate is with a really great story. Because sometimes you just, you hear the story and it's just like, it all, or like even a really great metaphor sometimes. You're like, yes. wow, that metaphor kind of like drives Opened it all. Opened the whole thing Yes, I just couldn't really grasp it until like I got the right metaphor. And so I think that's what I'm really interested in is what are, what are the tools and the strategies that people can use? Who was it? Somebody, some eminent editor was saying that he thought all nonfiction writers should read a lot of fiction. So that they would Absolutely. see the techniques and strategies that Absolutely. fiction writers use in order to create scenes and to create characters, to move through time, to create suspense. Because these are things that nonfiction writers can kind of forget to do. Yes. Yeah, there, should, there is no distinction between the skill set that you need for either. And if you think there is, then you've sort of deluded yourself. Yes. That this is a, this is a necessarily different thing. Yeah. But the fact is that, that storytelling is the most powerful tool. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching my kids watch Schoolhouse Rock. Oh my God, I love Schoolhouse Rock. So right? I can sing and all like of them I'm right Mr. now. Bill. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, rocking and a rolling. You're never gonna splash. forget it. In yes. a Planet Janet. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, yes. So yeah. characters, story. I know the preamble of the Constitution. Something at stake. Yes. Like it, it's a phenomenally perfect example of how a whole bunch of detail and information can be almost impossible yes. to grasp. Or utterly simple. Yes. Like as simple as a Cheerios commercial. Yes. You know? Yes. But what you just said about metaphor, I mean, metaphor is kind of the perfect metaphor for mm. story in the way yes. that we're talking no, about it. Exactly. It's like a tiny story. I never story. thought of that. It's like an itty bitty. No, it's like your life is a metaphor for a person's life, or your yeah. metaphor is a, is a metaphor for uh, a daughter's journey or whatever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's like taking information yeah. and turning it into something small and palatable with a little art, a little flair. Yes. That then unlocks it. Yes, that's very true. How does having your audience mess with your ability to do the next thing? 
Like, mm. do, do you have set, because you have a large audience and you're very in touch with them. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if it, I mean, I, I would think it would be very inspiring. And I have an audience and I, I, I feel turned on by them, but sometimes I am afraid, oh God, mm. they don't want me to be something different. They don't want me to do oh. this in a different way. Right. They want right. me to keep Doing going your, what they the like. They want, they want yes. more of what they like. Yes, and we're yeah. pleased. I mean, yeah. we just want to please yeah. people. And then you, there's the spheres. Do you have that? Well, it's interesting because I had kind of the opposite thing happen to me recently, which was in my book, Better Than Before, I talk, I, and it was all about habits. I kind of stumbled onto this personality framework that divides all of humanity into four categories. And this, Fantastic. Oh, yeah, How much yeah, do we need this? Yeah, yeah. So, and so it was just one. So I, the book is about 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And this was just one strategy. But it was kind of one of these things where it was kind of a bigger idea. It, did, it, it didn't fit easily within this book about habits because it was really bigger than habits. And then, and, and I loved this idea, and I was really, I was really having fun with it. But what I noticed is when I went, because one of the things is like hearing from an audience live. You know, when you do a Q and A, it's like amazing. So I would trot out all my most counterintuitive, juicy facts about habit formation, yeah. and everybody wanted to hear about the four tendencies. Like eighty-five to ninety-five percent of the questions were like super specific, advanced, sophisticated questions. Like. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the four tendencies, because I have a rebel daughter who's about to drop out of high school, and so I need to tell you, like, I, want, I need you to tell me right now, like, what do I say? Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know what, I'll write a little, I'll write, like, a little PDF that I, people can download. Uh-huh. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll write, like, a little, like, a little pamphlet. And then I'm like, I'm going to write a whole book, because people were so interested in it. Yeah. So in a way, I was led by my audience, because there was so much interest in something right. that I was like, right. I'm really interested in this. I didn't know everybody else would be. So that was really exciting, because yeah. that was like, you're asking for it. But you're asking about the opposite thing, which is like, I want to go off in a different direction. I don't know if you want to follow me. Exactly. And I haven't really experienced that yet. Maybe because my subject is so vast, it just feels like I could go in a There's lot of... There's plenty of room. It feels that way now. I don't know yeah. if it will always feel that way. You know, it seems it like so- a lot of people reach a limit and then they want to pivot to something very different. I yeah. haven't experienced that, that maybe you're yeah. there already. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about hearing an audience respond and, and getting those questions back. There, for sure, every person who's ever put a story down on paper has put some little thing in there that they thought was so idiosyncratic that yes. no one on earth would yes. ever relate to it. Yes. And there's no bigger thrill yes. when someone says to me, you know that chapter yes. about your husband calling his mother? Yes. And how much it bugged you? Yes. Like, I loved that. Yeah. And I was like, that is so satisfying because I was so self-conscious yes. about it. And I didn't understand why I was doing it in the first place. Right. It was just true. Right. But I didn't. You just put it in. I hadn't sort of decided what that was about and why it irritated me. And I felt a little ashamed about it. And then to discover that I actually didn't need to understand it for it to still be valuable. Right. To me, points you back to this is what story can do. Right. This is story connecting us in a way that nothing else can. When you're talking about identification, like me identifying yeah. with your story, and he said that often you come to some to a book because you're interested in a subject. So, oh, this is, sounds like an interesting book to me. I'll read it. So we have that in common, but that's like a very shallow thing. Like, yeah. but that's why I'm even in the room with you. If you yeah. wrote about you know undersea fishing, I wouldn't even be reading your right. book. So we have something in common. But he said, what makes people really identify is when there's something else very idiosyncratic. My family's from North Platte, Nebraska. I'm red-haired. Right. You know, I drink tons of Diet Coke. You right. know, um, I have like like the like my overbite was so extreme that my orthodontist, you know, presented it at a national conference. <laughs> That's when people identify with you because they're like, "Hey, my family's from North Platte, Nebraska yeah. too." And that and so and so when you sometimes people have this urge to like vanilla everything out. Like I'm going to strip away right. everything that's right. particular. So that everybody can identify with me. But then what happens is 
Nobody identifies with Absolutely. you. And the more of those like, little freaky details that you put in, the people are like, oh, I'm just like you. Yes, and it doesn't even have to be the same detail. No. Like, if you say you're from Nebraska, the person from, like, the Iowa. outskirts of yeah. Little Rock, Arkansas yeah. is like, yeah, yeah, me, like, I get you. There, somebody last night at a signing came up to me and they are like, oh, I'm just like you because I'm from Iowa. And I'm like, close enough, baby. The right. Midwest is big enough for all of us. Like, come on right, in. Right. Yeah, no. So it doesn't take much, but people have to, yeah. So sometimes it's those little details that you don't you, that you, to you are just like a throwaway. Yeah. End up for someone else but really But if you've resin. ever read in public, if you've ever shared your work in public, and you see the nods. Yes. Then you think, oh, I understand this now. This is like I'll never forget that now. Like yeah. I love putting yeah. the, the more specific the better. Like the way I made my peanut butter and jelly sandwich yeah. and then toasted it in the toaster. Yeah. Like, people are like, oh. No. I yeah. told a story about my husband and, and shaved turkey, and it's like everybody responds to this. Tur- <laughs> I'm like, the first time I said it, it was just like an, I, I, you know, it wasn't even part of the official speech. I just sort of started digressing, you know, because it had just happened in real life. Yeah. And then I'm like, God, I gotta include that turkey story because everybody identifies with the turkey story. Yeah. So we only have a minute left, and I want to ask you a little speed round. Oh yes. Oh, I love your speed rounds. Okay, great. Uh, name a book you wish you had written. Crowds and Power by Elias Canetti. Crazy, mind-blowing book. Okay. Uh, what was the last story that made you cry? Charlotte's Web. I have a, like a book club where I recommend books, and I was recommending Charlotte's Web, so I reread the. Ugh. The end of Charlotte's Web. It's like old Yeller. Oh, I've never read that. Too sad for me. But Charlotte's Web, who can resist? Uh, If your mother wrote a book about you, what would it be called? I think she would call it Gretchen. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Like, singular. Yeah, there she just go, Gretchen. Yeah, I think that's what she would call it. Um, Who can't you live without, creatively speaking? My sister, because you know we do this podcast together, and uh, so that's a whole thing that we share. And then also, she's also a writer. And um, she has amazing judgment, and she's like such an experienced storyteller. So she's the person where if I have a question or I'm like, how do you think this is? She's the person that I really depend on the most for that. Okay, so I think we need her name. What's her name? Oh, her name is Elizabeth Kraft. And what TV show does she write for? Uh, she writes, she's written for a bunch, for, uh, for The Shield, for Lie to Me. She created Women's Murder Club for television. Uh, she's developing some stuff now. But she has another podcast called Happier in Hollywood that she just started with her, her writing partner. And they talk a lot about this stuff there, Great. too. So. And if you could get everyone in the world to read just one book, I think I would say Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl because it is the most gripping story. Yes. It is a powerful story. It's a true story. Yeah. Uh, it's, an, it's like I'm haunted by that book. I think of it often. Yeah. Um, and but I've read so it several incred- times. It's an incredible concept. It is. That under those unfathomable circumstances yes. that you could find purpose and therefore you could find satisfaction and therefore you could feel yes. little drips of happiness yes. in the yeah. middle of horror. Yes, and, it, how it he, and his moment of realization of that. Yes, yeah. he, he had to experience it. A lot of people say that, but he truly experienced it in a way that few people do. And so, right, and, and that's why t- you believe it. Yes. You couldn't, you wouldn't yes. believe it under any other circumstances. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, that was his profession. He had, like, he was like a, what was a logotherapist. Uh-huh. And so this was his whole message. That this is like, okay, now we're going to put you in a concentration camp and see how that goes. Right. And he really, he, had, he lived it. Yeah, so yeah. you're exactly right. It's so much, he could have written about it, but without his own experience, it wouldn't penetrate us in the same way. It wouldn't convince us in the same way. Yeah because of his realization. And there's like a moment, I don't know how well you know the book, but there's a moment when the sun is setting and all the men are thinking about their wives and he just has this tremendous moment of realization. And it's, it's like, it's unforgettable once you read it. Yeah. 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 Your mind is your own. Yes, exactly. That's exactly his You're point. You're allowed to do whatever you want No one, you're free. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Hey, before you go, thank you so much for listening. And I want you to know that I appreciate the time, the attention that you give to this show, to the guests, and to yours truly. I wanted to take a second to say thank you. This community, like any community, is a testament to the saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. By elevating one another, by sharing and resharing the show, the tidbits that you learn, the experiences that you take away from here, we can collectively have a massive positive impact on the world. Now, whether you're new here to my orbit or you've been here for a decade, I would encourage you to think about how you can show up for your peers, for your fellow creators, and the people in your life that you really know and care about. And one way of doing that is to share this podcast. If you got any value from one of these shows or if you've been listening for a long time, you're spreading the love means the world to me. That's how this show gets out. We don't spend a dollar on paid advertising for the show. It's you and me and the guests on the show that help reach new people every week. So I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to remind you that the only way this thing grows is if we grow together. And, uh, and I'm grateful for any and all action that you take to that end. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.